Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You don't always have to like him. But you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. About six months ago, we started talking about chronic pain and chronic pain patients, and I decided at that time that it was really time to investigate what was going on. I hadn't heard very much said. I'd heard the same company line parroted about an opioid crisis and about how people were dying and and the opioid medications were responsible. So we've spoken with the uh, editor of the uh, guideline for pain medications for opioids, Jason Busa, the uh, professor from McMaster University. We've talked to David Gerlink, who is one of the leading physicians as far as the issue is concerned. He's joined us from Toronto. We've spoken with patients in both Canada and the United States. We've talked to Dr. Lynn Webster, who's a leading pain physician in the U.S., who was being investigated by the Drug Enforcement Agency for four years because he was prescribing for patients. And then the DEA decided they would just drop the investigation. Why? Because Dr. Webster was doing what he was supposed to do, and that is take care of his patients. We've talked to families whose family members have committed suicide because they were being chased from pillar to post, and the opioid medications, which were prescribed, had been prescribed by doctors, were being denied them, and they couldn't live with the pain, so they committed suicide. We've talked to Canadians who have said, that if their opioid medications are withdrawn or significantly arbitrarily reduced, they will ask for a physician-assisted death based on Canadian law, and then their estate will be instructed to sue the College of Physicians and Surgeons of the particular province for wrongful death. One of my guests did that, informed the college of her decision, and magically... Magically, her opioid prescription was restored. I wonder why that happened. There's a lot still to be covered and a lot we're going to cover. Next weekend, we'll be talking to a Canadian pain doctor who has said enough is enough. And he is taking care of his patients and he will step up. And I hope more doctors do the same thing. I've heard from doctors, Canadian doctors, I've talked to them, and they've said, look, patients are committing suicide in increasing numbers. I can't go on the radio and talk to you about this issue because I would be in serious trouble with my college, and I'm not going to lose my license. And we've had patients tell us that their physicians have told the patient, I know I've prescribed this medication for you for years. I know that it works. I know that it's returned some quality of life, but I can't give it to you anymore because I'm scared of the college and I will not risk my medical license in order to provide you the medication that you require. There are statistics about deaths that are opioid-related. One was 865 deaths in 2016. I believe that was for the province of Ontario. It was called a crisis. That is not a crisis. 
865 deaths is very, very unfortunate. It's sad. 38,000 people dying annually from tobacco-related illnesses. That is a crisis. So what do they do about tobacco? Oh, they collect billions in taxes. Do you get what's going on? I could read you letters, emails that I've received from both Canada and the United States, one after another after another, just this past week. One of the people I really, really like, personally really like and respect in the health delivery chain is my pharmacist. Because she takes really good care of not only me, but other patients. Takes really good care of of patients. Takes time. Takes care. And now, pharmacists are part of the chain investigating the chronic pain patients who are nothing, doing nothing more than asking for a continuation of their opioid medication so their quality of life remains somewhat acceptable. Greg Aberhardt is the registrar of the Alberta College of Pharmacists. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Aberhardt, thank you so much for the time. Afternoon, Roy. So what happens in Alberta starting October the 1st? If I'm a chronic pain patient, I walk into a pharmacy, I have a prescription from my doctor, and it's for opioids, what happens? Uh, that's very patient-dependent. Uh, let's start at the beginning, Roy. Pain is a very real thing. Pain is complex. The treatment of pain is complex, and there's many different reasons uh, for pain. And uh, the experience with the pharmacist, or for that matter, with the medical practitioner, with respect to pain, needs to be individualized. Um, we know that uh, recent studies showed that of individuals who overdosed on prescription opiates within a specific period of time, 62% of them had seen their pharmacist in the past month. Pharmacists are just one of the health professionals of individuals' health teams who are concerned about their health, and in this case, pain being part of that health. And the pharmacist needs to work as part of that team in assisting the patient uh, to mediate the pain, but also to work with the team and the individual to ensure that other um, adversities uh, can be managed in their interest. What does that mean in English? Sorry, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting, but I don't understand what you're saying. Sure, what it means is that the pharmacist care for each and indi- each and every patient on an individualized basis right. as part of a team. Okay. And we have approved guidelines, and uh, amongst those guidelines, there's a very heavy emphasis on the pharmacist collaborating uh, with other members of the team to ensure that pain is managed appropriately. Are these the guidelines that came out of McMaster, the 2017 guidelines for opioid uh, pain relief uh, non-cancerous? The guidelines which uh, our council has approved yeah. are specific to the practice of pharmacists. Okay, so this isn't, this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't Professor Boos's guidelines. Pardon? These are not Professor Boos's guidelines. No, they are not. They're your own. They are, these are our own guidelines respecting the practice of pharmacists. Okay, so who asked you to do this? Uh, we as a college have a responsibility to develop uh, standards and codes of ethics that guide our practitioners uh, in the way that they practice. We endeavored to do those in an evidence-informed way. And, so you decided. And I, would em- I would emphasize that pharmacists are part of a health team. And yeah. No, no, I get that, but you decided. Nobody uh, asked you. 
Well, we have a responsibility. Our council has a responsibility to develop standards. Uh, that is established in legislation, uh, and therefore, in being responsible to that legislation yeah. and to the public, it's important that we do that. Okay, so, um, but you decided. Nobody asked you to do that, right? Again, our responsibilities are okay. established in law, okay. and we have an obligation it. to the public to do that. I got it. A pharmacist's access in Alberta, as I understand it, is limited and based mostly on a patient's prescription history and not the full medical history. If that's the case, why would a pharmacist be permitted to quiz a patient in person and in personal detail about their chronic pain reality and their medication? Our standards of practice that were approved back in 2006-2007 based on new legislation, uh, which really expanded the scope of pharmacists in Alberta, uh, talks about the importance of assessing individuals and working with individuals to identify their health uh, priorities and to work with members of their health team to address those health priorities in a responsible way that uh, assists the individual achieve their health goals and to use health respect. Uh, wait, wait, hold, on, hold on a second, Mr. Eberhardt. You want to assist the patient to achieve the health goals. What the patient is trying to do is live pain-free or as much as possible. What the, patient has, what the patient has been able to do is obtain a prescription from a now terrified doctor over a period of years who's provided the uh, opioid medications who have allowed the patient to have a quality of life, and you're now going to place that in some degree of difficulty and jeopardy. Uh, I, I, think, I think that's rather presumptive. I think how? That the treatment of pain is very, very complex. No, how is it presumptive? Can you just let me uh, speak rather than interjecting? It's presumptive in the context that pain is very complex. The treatment of pain, depending on the origin of pain, is treated in different ways. There are many non-drug <sighs> interventions and lifestyle considerations that what must does be that considered mean? before... Uh, there are things like physical therapy. There are things like meditation. There are things Yeah, like but we're talking about somebody who comes to a pharmacy with a prescription that's written by a licensed medical practitioner. It is not up to the pharmacist to then say to the patient, well, what's your lifestyle like? What does this do for you? Why should you be taking then And then contact the doctor. It's not up to you to do that, or is it? Uh, that's a rather traditional way of thinking. Today, health care is delivered by teams. Pharmacists have a responsibility to contribute to the team and to the individual about the appropriate use of drugs. How many patients in this country have access to a team of healthcare professionals? Uh, I can't give you a number. Not Probably very I few. Can, you I would can, agree can, with can, that, no? I can tell you with confidence that the physician, the pharmacist, the nurses, whether they're located in a single center or whether they work together across the community, are part of the individual's team. Okay. Mr. Eberhardt, is it, true, is it true that Albertans may demand that all parts of their medical information be masked, meaning no one may look at that patient's file without the patient's permission on a case-by-case -case basis, the exception being clinically necessary, such as an ER emergency, perhaps. Is that true? There are provisions for masking in Alberta, and I won't go into the details and the specifics of how that masking is exercised. Uh, that is part of the approach. So the patient has the right to say, I don't want my medical history to be examined by this particular pharmacist. It is my right under Alberta legislation. I want it masked, right? Well, it could be. That also might put the pharmacist in a position where they are unable to assist that patient. So you, so you would, so the pharmacist would deny to filling the prescription. If the if the patient doesn't tell the pharmacist what the pharmacist wants to know, then the patient could have the the the, the legitimate prescription written by a doctor refused. 
Um, I would say rather than just refused, I think when we're dealing with opiates, particularly somebody who's using them chronically, the answer is not to refuse a prescription. The answer is to have a responsible and informed discussion with the individual to understand the situation and alternatives that are, are available. As I understand it, the list of responsibilities of an Alberta pharmacist declares, and this is a point that I have from your regs, quote, providing a drug to or for a person pursuant to a prescription. In other words, your job is to provide my medication as prescribed by my doctor. There doesn't appear to be any ambiguity attached to that statement. I, I would suggest that uh, you are not reviewing our standards of practice holistically. You're not reviewing the legislation holistically. The roles and responsibilities of pharmacists are to work with individuals to address their drug-related needs, yeah. to collaborate with other health team members, and to make sure that drugs are used appropriately. All right. Please hold on, Mr. Aberhart. I want to come and talk to you some more about this. We'll have a few minutes when we come back. But the fact is that the pharmacists' College of Pharmacy or Pharmacology decided on its own to provide guidelines. So what the Professor Busa came up with for nationally is not what the Alberta College of Pharmacists is doing. They have their own. Why? Uh, yeah. And if you're only doing it with opioid patients, I'm going to ask him this, if you're only doing it with opioid patients, isn't that just stigmatizing the patient? Really? We'll come back. Stay with us. Passionate, patriotic, a little bit pugilistic, and always professional. Hear what Roy Green has to say on the Chorus Radio Network. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. I just got another email the other day about a 30-year-old woman who committed suicide because her opioid medications were withdrawn. 30 years of age. She couldn't live with the pain. She just could not live with the pain. I receive emails every day from people in the United States and Canada. They cannot live with the pain. And there's an agenda underway and that's what it is, and doctors have said that on this program, there's an agenda about opioid medications and what affects generic drug addicts as far as drug abuse is concerned. That kind of the information that, 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 that um, pertains to the generic drug addict is often transferred to the pain patient or make it appear that the pain patient's the one with the problem when that is not the case. I wish I had a lot of time to discuss this with uh, Mr. Eberhard. Greg Eberhard is the registrar for the Alberta College of Pharmacists. I have a lot of respect for pharmacists, Mr. Eberhard. I don't want you to misunderstand that. I have a lot more concern than I for, for the pain patient, though. And I want to ask you this. Does a pharmacist in Alberta have the qualifications to assess patient pain? You've said it's a very complex issue. So does the pharmacist who is going to be quizzing the pain patient have the qualifications to assess the patient pain and understand the beneficial nature of the opioids to the patient? Do they know? I think that there's some, you know, some starting points, Roy. First of all, we do have pharmacists in Alberta whose entire practice is focused on pain management, uh, working collaboratively, collaboratively with other health professionals. We also know that there are tools that are very easily available just through interviewing, interviewing patients to try and understand things like their, uh, their, their health history, 
and their potential susceptibility to uh, the possibility of addiction with drugs. We also know that there are very simple tools through interview with patients to understand the level of their pain, the extent to which it is changing. And it's also very simple to have a dialogue with a patient to understand what might have contributed to their pain, what the history of their pain has been. Those are all important parts of information to support the pharmacist, uh, build an understanding around the management of pain for the individual. I again want to emphasize that pharmacists work with the other health professionals and they add value to those discussions based on their insight and their knowledge about drugs. Their interest is not just about controlling the pain, but we also want to uh, work with individuals to make sure that adverse events and other risk factors that they may be exposed to because of the medications are managed. Why aren't you doing it with any other patients? You know that uh, uh, antidepressants are prescribed in huge numbers, far more than is necessary. You know that and I know that. Uh, why aren't you looking at antidepressants as well as opioids? Because they're often prescribed in tandem. What's, do you not see that it appears at least that there is discrimination toward the pain patient in action here, particularly since the, pharmac- the, the college was not asked by anybody to develop these guidelines. I know what you've told me, but it's perception becomes reality for people. Perception well, becomes reality, and the perception is that the pain patient think, is being harmed. I think, I think uh, to be responsible in the context of the mandate that we've been given uh, by government on behalf of Albertans, uh, we need to be as proactive as possible. Once you wait for people to ask sometimes, it, it's after the fact. But when you have people who have been taking opioids for years people. that have been prescribed to them and they've helped them, so why, 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 why interrupt the process? Well, again, that's why I said in the beginning that each and every patient needs to be addressed differently. The way that you address an individual who has been using opiates for a long period of time as compared to somebody who has been newly introduced to opiates, is quite different. Mm. We know two things for fact. And I've got 20 seconds, but go ahead. Since since 2012, despite the opiate crisis that that we're reading about in in, in the gray media, Mm. there's been a huge increase in the number of opiates prescribed in Canada. We also know that Canada is probably only second to the United States. But that's a good in thing. Context of opiate but that's a good thing. It's taking care of people. Not, not it's taking care. Why, why Mr. Eberhardt, I've, I've got to go. I have no choice because the satellite's going to cut us off. But I hope we can talk again. Sure. I hope I you'll come back welcome. on the show because we're not going to stop talking about this issue. Thank you for the time today. Thank you. Greg Eberhardt, the registrar of the Alberta College of Pharmacists. We'll talk to our panel when we come back.